Good morning and welcome again to the online service here at Lord of Grace Lutheran Church. And uh, we are now entering in our church year the long season of Pentecost, uh, which is going to go all the way in through the fall. For the next few weeks, I'm going to walk through some passages in the Gospel of Matthew. And as we start uh, out partway through the book, we're, today we're going to start out a little bit through the book of Matthew. It's not going to be uh, exactly linear. We're going to start out in chapter 9, where we get a story of Jesus sending the 70. That's what they call it, the sending of the 70. It gets used a lot, this story, as sort of a manual for evangelism. But I ask, is that really what it is? Uh, and is that even really what Jesus is doing here, what we call evangelism? So let's take a look at Matthew 9, the general story. I'll point out a few things. Start Matthew 9, starting at verse 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. It's the usual start of a Jesus mission that he starts out with curing and healing and telling everyone that the kingdom of God is near. Then you get a giant crowd and this line about the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So what's the harvest here? He's using an analogy, what does he mean? What is the harvest? Usually when people say this, they use it as an evangelism metaphor. The harvest is uh, the people who don't believe. The non-believers, the skeptics, they're the harvest. And we evangelists need to get them to come back to church. And I don't think that's wrong. It's definitely something I believe in, and I believe is part of our mandate. But in this particular passage, is that what they're saying? Because the crowd is already there. He already has a crowd and he already has an audience. In fact, it says it was a big one. And it said that in fact, everywhere Jesus went, he had big crowds. So he's got the audience, he's got the people there, and he can cure diseases. He can do miracle cures, so he's got their undivided attention. So, is the harvest really about, in this case, getting people to believe in God? Is it about promoting a church? Let's look farther. Maybe we'll get a better answer. Starting in chapter 10, we're going to jump to chapter 10. These 12, these 12 disciples, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. The first part here tells you a lot. Jesus explicitly tells them, 
Go only to the Jewish people, the people like them. Keep this in-house. So this is a mission to the people like us who are already believers, who already read the scriptures, who already follow God. This is not a mission to those outside. Jesus would do a lot of those missions, but this particular one is not that. So it's not really an evangelism mission like we'd think of. It's more of a warning mission, an alert, telling people that the kingdom of God is here. Now notice the things Jesus tells them to do. The first is the biggie, and he tells them that all the time. Proclaim that the kingdom of God is here. Let the people know that God is fulfilling what he promised when he said he was going to send a new king to lead the people. God made a promise, and God is fulfilling that promise now. Go tell the people that God is doing what he said he was going to do. And it's real, and it's happening, and it's now. And then two, do all sorts of healing. And we get a, we get a nice four-point list here. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. In other words, God is fulfilling his promise and creating the kingdom of God now. And here's the evidence that it's real. Here's how you can see that it's really happening. Because all these amazing things are happening, cures and healings. Give words, he tells his disciples, but back it up with deeds. When they see all the great changes happening, when they see these cures and the dead raised and the lepers cleansed, they will know when they see the healing that God's presence is nearby. Still not evangelism as we normally do it. They're not telling anyone about belief in God. And they're not inviting the people to anything. Both good things, but again for this mission. These people they're going to, they already believe. They already have synagogues they can go to. The point is to let them know that God's in town. They're more like heralds and messengers than what we might think of as evangelists. Because we get this image, right? You know, when people talk about evangelists walking around in twos, you know, we have images of young guys accosting people at the bus stop and knocking on your door and telling you to believe and participate in their particular religion. And, you know, and they've got tracts and things to hand out. And th that's kind of, a, that's kind of our, our image. It's become kind of a cliche. And, they, you know, and they tell you a lot of the time that this passage here, is part of why they do what they do. It's biblical to go out in twos. It's biblical to evangelize. Well, that part makes sense. If you've ever tried to go out on a mission of any sort and do evangelism of any sort, you will know that it is the path of hardship and rejection. You're gonna have people yelling at you, slamming doors at you, calling you names, giving you various interesting hand gestures. You're gonna get it a thousand times a day. 
You're going to get a thousand rejections for every one maybe. Most people in the world are happy with things the way they are. Thank you, so leave me alone. And you need support to go through all that day in and day out. I don't think it's bad to follow Jesus in this part. Even if it's something as simple as running a Sunday school class or an outreach project. Bring along help. Don't try to go it alone. Good advice. Good advice. So, what do we do with this? This passage. I mean, what's our takeaway? That's kind of the struggle, right? I, I don't know about you, but I have not been given the gift of raising the dead. I just haven't gotten it. God was not generous enough to bless me with that, that ability. I can't even cure a leper, although I can recommend them to a doctor and get antibiotics. So what, what are we supposed to do? Let's imagine we tried to do something similar today, along the lines of what Jesus did, but updated for our time and our lack of ability to raise the dead. So let's put on our imagination hats here for a moment and picture what ascending of the 70 might look like in 2020. So we start out, we get people in pairs. And we'd probably want to pair them up with complementary skills, the introvert with the extrovert, the bookworm with the, you know, the sports fanatic. So, so that they, they can complement each other, support each other, build each other up where the other one is weak. And then we would go out to some part of our community that we really prayerfully feel like needs to hear the gospel. And you don't bring a bunch of fancy supplies or tracts to pass out or fancy brochures. Jesus does very specifically tell his people not to bring a lot of stuff. And they go into the area, wherever this area is, they do, and they do a few things. I'm going to give you a list on the screen here. One, they get to know the people. They eat with them, as Jesus says, and hang out with them. They learn their names, their cultural habits. And two, they, they do identify themselves as being followers of Jesus. Might not be the first thing, but you don't hide it. And three, they get to work on healing. So you send people out in pairs to get to know people and do healing. You don't start with the invitation to worship. That comes later. First, you have to demonstrate that the kingdom of God is at hand by doing healing. Now, if you have that gift to actually cure diseases, God bless you. For the rest of us, you have to take this healing thing a little bit less literally and a little bit less medically, but it's still needed. We still need people to go out and bring healing. So let's think of ways we could do that, since we have our imagination hats on here. We could go to a place where people suffer hurt, where they suffer from injustice, where they're getting taken advantage of or exploited. And there's tons of places where this happens. For example, let me throw, I'll throw a bunch of examples here. What about workers being abused by their employers? Or people abused by authorities or power structures. 
You could join a protest against some abuse or violence. You could bring healing by spending time listening to the people who have been abused and exploited. You can bring healing by listening, which is what a lot, most of what counselors and chaplains do. Or maybe you could go to an area of conflict and seek reconciliation. What if there's a feud in your neighborhood? What if there's animosity on the block? What if there's a guy who doesn't put his trash can back right away at the prescribed time and everybody's mad? Minor problem to some people, but you could bring reconciliation to your neighborhood. You could work towards a just solution. What about? What if there's some personal hurts? What if we sent people out to go staff shelters and give supplies to people on the street after getting to know them as real human beings, not just as charity cases on the street? Or think about local community centers. You could, we could send people out to, to centers in twos, get to know the kids, volunteer for the projects they do, get to know the people who use it and hear their stories and their hurts and their pains. Then we could talk about what would improve their lives. Look at what we could do to bring new life where there's struggle. And, and I know you're sitting here and I had the same thought too as I'm writing all this out. I'm like, you're sitting there thinking, Lars, this is a lot of work. And this is draining. And yeah, it is. Healing work is draining. Listening to people, just, just listening to people can be draining. If you're really giving somebody your undivided attention, and you're really taking in the struggles and the pains, it, yeah, it can take energy out of you. But that's how it works. And isn't that what Jesus did? You want people to know that God is present and working in the world and making things better here and now. Then they'll need to see some action to back up those words. Where there is healing brought to pain, God is proclaimed. And yes, there will be tons and tons of rejection. A lot of people will want nothing to do with your healing crap. And they'll slam the door in your face. They'll tell you they don't need no religion. They'll accuse you of having a devious motive. And for those cases, Jesus says, don't beat yourself up. And don't try to beat them up. Just wipe the dust off your feet and move on. There's so many people who need you. Life is short. Don't spend your time trying just to win over those who are against you, who are closed off to the possibility of the kingdom of God. But imagine that if we went out in twos to meet people and bring healing to people's lives. You think amazing things would start to happen? I do. We're in a world right now that really is splitting apart and needs healing. But, and I have to include this caveat every time I talk about healing and reconciliation. I gotta, I gotta mention it because 
there's a belief out there that is kind of incorrect about healing. Healing doesn't mean shut up and quit complaining about how bad you're being treated because it makes the bully feel bad. And if we're going to have healing, we can't have you yelling at him. I used to hate that. You know, I would see teachers, they thought, they, they, they thought the way to stop a fight when one person is being the bully was to say, you two need to learn, work this out and get along. That would be fine if we were at exactly the same level of power. But if he stopped beating me, I would say, it would feel a lot easier to talk about healing. And I can talk about getting along when he stops beating me. But I'm not just going to shut up and take it so that you, the teacher, don't have to be bothered with an uncomfortable situation and a disciplinary headache that you don't want to deal with because you just want to get home. It's not the conflict itself that is the problem. The conflict is just the symptom of the abuse of power. And it's the abuse of power that causes the lack of healing and the lack of getting along and the bullying, and we can probably get along much better. So we're not going out to do a Christian witness to tell people who've been hurt to shut up and sit down and play nice because your protesting being hurt is dragging attention and causing conflict. It's the abuse of money and power that causes the conflict. And sometimes the way to healing actually involves stirring the pot even more until a solution is found that stops the bullying and the abuse of money and power. So he healing is not a way of whitewashing over an injustice or a hurt. Healing, in fact, in the, is really the opposite. It involves some very honest stopping of the hurting and listening to the one who's hurt. But just imagine, just to get back to all this, just imagine if we did that, while you've got your imagination hat on, going out in twos to bring about justice and healing, wouldn't that be amazing? People would really begin to see the kingdom of God at work. That the kingdom of God is not just an idea, but that the kingdom of God is here and that God is near, and that God is with us, and that following Jesus does in fact change lives. And it can change yours too. Amen.